Just a reminder, as we are um, beginning our study at the Gospel of Luke, uh, once a month I'm going to break away and uh, preach on one of the Psalms and taking requests. And so I have a, a request for Psalm 8, and then if there are any other requests, I am all ears. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the Gospel of Luke. We ask that you would uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and most of all, uh, hearts to believe, wills to obey, uh, that Jesus Christ may be glorified. We ask in his name, amen. So, as I was just mentioning, uh, we begin our study of the Gospel of Luke Luke is the longest book in the New Testament, and as we begin, we, our eyes fall upon the very first word uh, in his gospel, and we see that he opens um, his gospel with the word, inasmuch. Inasmuch is an adverb. It's a, it's a conjunction. Who begins a book with a conjunction? If it's a conjunction, then what is, it, what is it joining if it's the first word? We are off to a foreboding start. Actually, using a conjunction to begin a book in the ancient Greek world was not a bad thing. Just the opposite. It was a very formal and sophisticated way of writing. Philip Graham says, uh, Philip Riken rather, says, Luke's preface compares favorably to the formal introductions we find in works by Herodotus, Thucydides, Josephus, and other historians. For instance, uh, Thucydides began his history of the Peloponnesian War with the conjunction. He began it with the conjunction, but. And so it begins the first line of his uh, history of the Peloponnesian Wars. But as to the facts of the occurrences of the war. And this is one of the great works of Western literature. Now to say this um, tells us a lot about uh, Luke and his gospel. Luke was writing in a sophisticated style that tells us that he was highly educated. He was, as they say, a man of letters. He had read the great historians of his culture and had learned their style of writing. He had not only learned the style of the great historians, he had also learned their craft. William Ramsey, uh, the foremost archaeologist and historian of, the, of Asia Minor in the early 20th century, said of Luke, Luke is a historian of the first rank, not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, he is possessed of the true historic sense. During the 19th century, the liberal theologians thought it their job to tear apart the Bible to find the Sitzimleben, the setting in life, um, which was the, the history of the people who wrote the Bible. So the, the theologians' task was not to teach the people the Bible, Rather, they felt it was their task to look behind the Bible and, and determine who are these people who wrote the Bible. 
And they thought that Luke was a bad historian and that his book was riddled with many factual errors. But um, the archaeologists, like Ramsey, were able to do their work prior to the beginning of World War II and uh, had a lot of, of digs and, and studies and things like that. And they began looking at, what, at the, the claims that Luke made and the things that he said, and it turns out that uh, their archaeology confirmed what Luke was saying. So it's not unusual to read today, even in theologically liberal publications, that Luke is one of the finest and ablest historians of the ancient world. And this is important not only for our study of the Gospel of Luke, but also for our study of the the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts is the history of the early church. Well, guess who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, the very fine and able historian, wrote the book of Acts, the, the history book of the early church. Not only was Luke a first-rate historian, he was also a medical doctor. At the end of Colossians, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Dr. Luke traveled with Paul on his later missionary journeys. It appears that he joined Paul for the first time um, as he made his trip from Asia Minor over to Macedonia. And we read in Acts 16, uh, where Luke starts referring to what Paul was doing, not in the third-person singular or third-person plural, he went or they went, he starts talking in the first-person, first-person plural. We did this. We went there. So, for instance, in Acts 16, verses 11 through 13, uh, we find Luke saying, So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And so, uh, as... Uh, from Luke 16 on, we start reading about we instead of he and they. Dr. Luke may have even been a very capable preacher. Philip Ryken uh, speculates that Paul is speaking of Luke when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, when Titus, or with Titus, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace. And I tend to agree with this view since Luke did travel extensively with Paul. With his education, with his vocabulary, he was likely quite eloquent. The leading preacher of the of the gospel in the 20th century was the physician turned pastor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. 
So maybe Lloyd-Jones is following in Dr. Luke's footsteps. Luke was not one of the original disciples. It appears that he had never met Jesus. Therefore, for him to write his gospel, he had to do painstaking research. He had to interview many of the early Christians who were with Jesus. I believe he interviewed Jesus' mother to learn all the details about the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. In Luke, we have the most extensive details of um, Christ's birth and early life. In Acts 21, Luke records that he traveled with Paul to Jerusalem, and there he met the leaders of the church. While he was there, he obviously conducted in-depth interviews as he was compiling uh, his information to write the Gospel of Luke. And so he says uh, this in verses 1 through 3 of our text. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And it appears that Luke did not confine himself to uh, one-on-one interviews. It also appears likely that he used Mark's gospel as one of his sources. But he doesn't just copy Mark's gospel. Um... He compiled all his interviews and resources to write his own gospel. There are passages that are clearly copied from Mark, word for word. But then he'll change a few words. He'll omit um, a few things or add a few things. And when we begin asking, why, why, Luke, would you change this word? Why would you omit this when Mark included it? And it starts, and it will yield a wealth of information as uh, we start asking the questions, why there are those differences. Uh, Mark, I mean, Luke had a very specific purpose in writing his gospel. And so the changes that he made as he, in some instances, copied from Mark, those changes were very um, important for his purpose. Now, in saying this, we need to pause for one moment and consider where God fits in to Luke's interviews, where God fits into the resources that he collected and the, and the decisions he made on how to organize his gospel. In other words, if Luke made all the decisions on what to write, how can we say that the gospel of Luke is God's word and not merely and only Luke's word. In our officer training class on Wednesday evenings, we just considered this question in the last couple of weeks. Tempted to, to uh, pick out one of the class members to see if they can answer. But I, I will resist. I won't put anybody on the, on the spot. But basically, what happened, or what we learned about uh, in officer training is that God does not bypass or override the personality or the writing style or the background of the human authors of Scripture. God used Luke's training as a historian. 
God used Luke's powers of observation as a doctor. God used the interviews and resources that Luke had compiled. God used the decisions that Luke made um, in what to write in his gospel. In other words, Luke wrote his gospel under the orchestration of divine providence. God did not turn Luke into a robot and say, Okay, Luke, write this. Luke made decisions. Luke's personality and his writing style come shining through. But everything that Luke wrote, right down to the individual letters, to the, the punctuation, even the accent marks, was exactly what God intended. B.B. Warfield says, The Scriptures are the joint product of divine and human activities working harmoniously together to the production of a writing which is, at the same time, divine and human in every part, every word, and every particular. In the study of theology, we call this organic inspiration. It's living uh, inspiration. It's not mechanical uh, it's it's uh, God working through the Holy Spirit uh, providentially in Luke's life so that what Luke wrote was exactly what God intended. So make no mistake, when we are reading Luke's gospel, we are reading the inspired and authoritative word of the true and living God. Luke had a very specific purpose in writing his gospel. And we see this purpose very clearly in verse 4. I'll just pick up um, at the very end of verse 3 where he says, um, Most excellent Theophilus, uh, he, he wrote this for the, this most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things which you have been taught. Luke took pen in hand to write a two-volume history of early Christianity, and he wrote this two, these two volumes for a particular man, a man named Theophilus. Theo, God, Philos, friend, a friend of God. Um, we assume that, um, well, the, the one, the volume one is the Gospel of Luke, volume two, the Acts of the Apostles. It's likely that Theophilus was some uh, important and influential Roman official who was a fairly new Christian. And so Luke wrote his two volumes to help Theophilus grow in his assurance of faith. Luke did not just want to inform Theophilus of the events that happened. He wanted to help Theophilus to have a personal uh, assurance, a personal certainty of what Christ had come here to do and what Christ was continuing to do um, by His Holy Spirit being poured out among uh, His apostles, being poured out on the church. Theophilus already knew about the things that Luke is writing about. So he says that you may have certainty concerning the things you have, we could put in the word, already been taught. So this is not new information for Theophilus. In other words, 
It's one thing to know and believe the facts of the gospel. Theophilus had already been taught these things. Presumably he believed what he had been taught. But it is another thing to know and believe that you have a personal interest in the facts of the gospel. It is one thing to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to earth to seek and to save sinners. It is another thing to believe that Jesus, the Son of God, came here to our earth 2,000 years ago to seek and to save you. It's one thing to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. It is another thing to believe that while he was on the cross, he was paying for your sins. It's one thing to believe that Jesus rose from the dead after three days. It's another thing to believe that his resurrection from the dead secured your eternal life. It's one thing to believe that Jesus has ascended into heaven where he intercedes for the saints. It's another thing to believe that he has ascended into heaven so that you will live with him forever. Here's why this is so important. Believing the facts about Jesus in a vacuum will not provide you the power to resist temptation when sin has you in its grip and you are bound and determined to give in to your sinful desires. Believing the facts about Jesus, disconnected from your interest in Him, will not help, you, will not help lift you out of a sadness or a depression and into the joy of the Lord. Believing the facts about Jesus detached from His love for you will not empower you to be more than a conqueror in your faithful obedience to God. Believing the facts about Jesus uh, separated from His unconditional grace given to you will not enable you to experience the delight of having an assurance that your sins are forgiven. I think this is where some of our young people struggle. They believe the facts of the gospel. They've heard the facts of the gospel since they were, um, since they were born. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior for sinners. They believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. But they have not experienced the power and the overcoming joy of a personal interest and relationship with Jesus Christ. And so some of our young people believe the facts of the gospel, but they wonder, why doesn't this gospel work for me? And eventually it's easier to follow the life philosophy of the world rather um, than follow Christianity because Christianity for them only seems to bring frustration and defeat. Not only our young people. But even uh, the seasoned, committed Christians often struggle in a similar manner. It's tempting to look to our past profession of faith. I walked the aisle 35 years ago. I made a profession of faith 15 years ago. And we look to our past profession for our present assurance and joy. But our remembrance of a past profession doesn't help us keep our joy 
during present difficulties. Sometimes we seek to find our joy in our present performances. I read my Bible today. I prayed extra long today. Therefore, I'm going to experience joy in Jesus. And then we leave the house. And inevitably, we sin. And we, um, we feel that uh, we've disappointed God because our, and because our, our assurance is based on our, our performance, all our joy evaporates away because our performance is deficient. Our assurance of faith does not come from simply believing a set of facts. Our assurance of faith does not come from remembering our past profession of faith. Our assurance of faith does not come from our past or or our present performance. Our assurance of faith comes only, only by looking to Jesus Christ. That's why Paul, I'm sorry, that's why Luke carefully researched and compiled his gospel to help us look to Jesus, to anchor our faith in him, not just in a bare, in some bare facts about him. As we read and study the gospel of Luke, read and study it. As if it was only written to you. Valentine's Valentine's Day is coming up. Read and study the Gospel of Luke. As if it is God's love letter to you. When you come to the promises that Jesus makes to his disciples. Or or to his, uh, his, his followers. Or to the crowds. Read those promises. As if God is whispering into your ear. Only something that you and He knows. Pray to God about the things you are reading in the Gospel of Luke. For instance, in chapter 17, where the disciples cried out to Jesus, Increase our faith, Lord! Pause in your reading. And you yourself cry out. With that same earnestness, Lord, increase my faith. None of us have arrived with a perfectly assured faith. All of us struggle with unbelief. All of us struggle with uncertainty. All of us struggle with disobedience. All of us struggle with unfaithfulness. So read the Gospel of Luke, knowing that Luke carefully crafted each and every word For people like us. We are the modern day Theophilus. As you read his gospel. With the knowledge that it was written for you. You will grow in the certainty. Of the things. That you have already been taught. Your assurance of faith. Will be the power source. For your joy. And your obedience. In Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for the Gospel of Luke. And we've only read the first four uh, verses uh, in this sermon series. God, I ask that you would give us, um, that you would open up uh, the eyes of our heart that uh, we might grow in our assurance 
of faith, that we might grow in our relationship um, with Jesus Christ, that we may see our personal interest in Him. Lord, I pray for any who know the facts of the gospel, but have never um, seen a personal interest in the gospel, who have somehow missed out on the personal relationship with you, draw them to yourself. Lord, I pray for any who are struggling in their assurance. We all struggle in our assurance. So I pray that you would pour out your spirit, deepen our assurance, deepen our certainty and our commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he loves us so much. We ask in his name, amen.